I don't know how much time I'm going to take, but I just want to share this with you. James tells us to count it all joy. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 and 4. Count it all joy whenever you go into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That we, we, uh, we are spiritually dead. And when God gives us faith and brings us to, to the knowledge of himself, he has to begin to kind of remake our hearts and our lives. And sometimes that's a major undertaking because our hearts are very stubborn. Remember the parable of the sower. Jesus talked about sowing the seed. And out of the four kinds of soil, which represent hearts, only one was a genuine conversion. The other three, one of them was a hard ground, the stony ground. One was a, uh, a ground that was shallow with a lot of rocks and stuff. And the other was a ground that had a lot of weeds infested in it. And all three of the two of those, the one, the first one, the gospel was sown and the birds came and took it away. That's the hard heart. And then another one was that the gospel was sown and it was choked out with, uh, there was a shallow, didn't have any depth in it, and uh, that, that the gospel was received with joy by that individual, but then when persecution and hard times come, they turned away from the gospel, they left it and went back to their other stuff, giving evidence that they weren't really saved. The third was the soil that had weeds infested in it, and as soon as the gospel was sown and it began to come up, the weeds came up too and choked it out so that it was not fruitful, it was a fruitless gospel. And uh, that is a condition of our hearts, that, that uh, the Lord has to work in our hearts, and sometimes he has to do severe surgery in our lives. And I'm not saying that just for Wayne. I'm saying that for me, and I'm saying that for you, that if we know the Lord, sometimes hard times come, but those hard times that come are in his hand, the surgeon's knife to really cut away the flesh and the stuff that needs to be cut away and make us responsive it's never a situation where God hates us and wants to destroy us, but sometimes he does bring pressure on us because he loves us and wants to get our attention and cause us to turn to him. Did you want to say something, Debbie? I just wanted to make a comment, if you don't mind. No. Um, she said that the root tubers got down in it yesterday, but they You're talking about Wayne. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, I have talked to Wayne many times and asked him, and he every time I talk to him and ask him, he's he assures me that he spends time in the word every day and that he's really excited. And he was excited about the church and he talks to the pastor about the church up here they were involved in. I really believe he he had a heart for the Lord, and I really believe the Lord is working in his life. And uh, but it's just we don't understand these things. The same is true with our country. I, we're concerned about the country and how things are going. God is in charge, and He knows about these things. And we just we want to be faithful in our in our world. We are secure in Christ, even though we may not have everything we want down here in our life today. The things may not be comfortable, and uh, people giving us a stroke on the back and patting us away we would like to be yet at the same time we want to shine for him and live for him and be faithful to him that's really very important and so we just make sure that you spend time with the lord and walk with him day by day and spend time with his people because that's this is where we encourage each other this is where we strengthen each other this is how we we uh, encourage each other we'll talk about that maybe tonight when we have communion but uh, anyway take your bibles and turn to titus
we have maybe 10 minutes before we have to finish up. I may go over a little bit. Yeah. Turn over to Titus. We are what Paul is doing in the text that we are in, and we are in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. And what we're looking at is Paul has encouraged Titus in this letter to stay uh, on the Isle of Crete, where he's, he left him there. And that Titus is given the responsibility of establishing leadership in the many churches in Crete. And one of the things that he is told to be doing there uh, as he establishes those churches is to rebuke and to encourage and to teach um, in the church because there are many rebellious and self-centered people. Um, the, he says, basically, if I can just summarize several verses, he says the overseer must, uh, down in the verse 9, be able to exhort with sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And then that brings us to the text we're looking at, verse 10. For there are many rebellious uh, men, empty talkers, so on and so forth. We're looking at that those verses now. Um, the first thing is the people that are he is, he is told to confront, so to speak, and that is those people that are rebellious men. They are rebelling against authority and the things that God has given. They are empty talkers. That is, a, they run their mouth a lot. Now, I, I run my mouth a lot, too, and I guess we all do to some degree, but this is not just talking about talking, but that they are there talking about things dealing with the scriptures and truth and stuff like that. And they just, everybody has their opinions. And when it comes to opinions, your opinions are not the judgment criteria to evaluate God's word. It doesn't matter what you think about it or how you feel about it. What matters is what does the Bible say? What does the black and white text of scripture say? And so when you come to a verse, if you don't understand it, it usually helps to read the context and see what's going before and what comes after. It'll help to explain it or whatever. Anyway, there are empty talkers that he's having to deal, deal with. And then there are deceivers, those that are deliberately deceiving. That's the people that he is told to, to work against. And then the, the prevention of that is he says that they must be silenced. It has the idea of putting a hand over their mouth or whatever. They are teaching things they shouldn't. They're empty talkers, they're rebellious, they must be silenced. And that, of course, holds a responsibility to all of us as leaders in the church that we don't want to just let people uh, come up and sway the groups and sway the families. He talks about the families there, the, the leading families astray uh, and lead people astray. But if they're, you can talk with them and share with them that if they're wrong and teaching stuff like that, and you correct them, if they won't be corrected, then you're gonna have to let them go. Just tell them to don't come in because you can't stand around here. We're not gonna let you sit here and teach these things that are in error. It's just, it's very important. We're dealing with truth. Truth is from God. And we can't, we can't mix it with a lot of opinions that have no basis in truth. You understand what I'm saying? And that's just really important. And so uh, this, is, this is kind of what he's saying. The people are there, they're the rebellious people, the preventions, they must be silenced. The reason is that they are upsetting whole families, teaching things. Remember, we talked about the family, basic uh, unit of, society we all in the basic unit of the church and the family is that place i know when elaine was alive we used to talk a lot of times about the things of the lord and pete was with us 
uh, at home, we would talk about and have discussions. Uh, one of the most uh, meaningful discussions I think I've ever had was when we were sitting at the breakfast table one Sunday after church, and my son, the little boy, I guess maybe what, uh, maybe first grade or second grade, said, uh, Dad, will Jesus have the marks uh, in his body when we are in heaven? And I thought about that. And I said, yeah, the scripture talks about that. You, you see the marks in his hands and his feet. And then he asked the second question, why? And that got me thinking really serious about that. Why is the Lord in glory when he sits on the throne and when he, when he runs the universe and we are there with him and we walk with him in the new Jerusalem, why is he going to have those marks in his hands? And I'm confident that it will be an eternal reminder to us of the cost of our salvation. You talk about humbling. When you talk about the, the Lord of glory with marks in his hands that are there because of me, that is very, very humbling. And so this the families here are these units in the church, and they're talking about things, and they're kind of being led astray sometimes with this false teaching. So he, so he talks about that. And then um, one of the things he mentions is that the reason they're doing that, these false teachers, is because of sordid gain. They want to make money. That money is a motivation, and they want to make money. And, and I understand that. I'm working at Lowe's now, and I'm, I have more money than I've had in a long time. And I understand what it means. When you start having money, you start thinking of things you can buy, and, and you, you, know, you can get this nice watch there that tells all about your health. And you can punch the button and it'll give you this and that and the other and all this kind of stuff like that. And you can start thinking about what are the things you can buy with money. But the scripture tells us to set our affection on things above, for Christ is seated not on the things of the earth. It tells us to not to love the world and the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we want to, to set our affections, which means that we have something to do with that. We can direct our affections toward those kinds of things that, of the Lord. And as Proverbs, Psalm 30, uh, 37, 37, 4, I believe it is, says that, um, but delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that if you want something real bad, you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give it to you. But it says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll change your desires around so that you can embrace those things that really matter. And so this, we, we give ourselves over to that. There is a sense in which we are told to direct our affections toward the things of the Lord. And the Lord can work in our hearts. How do we do that, by the way? One of the big things is spending time in God's work. Doing that and letting the Spirit of God take it and work it in our hearts and lives. And uh, so these people here are teaching things, that's their performance, that they should not teach. Teaching in Scripture is, um, James says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. I remember when I first, Dory first came out to the church one time, Sunday morning, she came out, she said, you just like to stand in front of the people and speak to the body and be a boss, don't you? And I said, yeah, I guess I do like to stand in front of the people. But you know what? I am aware of the fact that there is a stricter judgment. There is an accountability that comes with that. When you stand up in front of people, and it's not just here, but if you have children or if you have a family or if you're working with co-workers and things like that at work, and uh, it, I do at Lowe's where I sit, and people sometimes will come up and talk about things other than Alabama, and uh, we're talking about things, and a lot of times um, I have a chance to say something about the gospel, about the Lord, or whatever, 
we were, you, you were talking this morning about people that uh, talked about your language you know, that, or their language and they say, oh, I'm sorry, Rick, I didn't mean to say that. And I've, I've invited, uh, there was one British guy there and I've invited him to the Bible study and he said, oh, they don't want me out there with my language. And you, you, you just, I said, you come out there with your language and God will change your heart. You can do that. You come. We have answers. That's the bad, that's the good thing about coming to the Bible study. We have answers. The world doesn't have answers. You can watch the news. It doesn't give you answers. But you come out and study the scriptures, you have answers. And uh, that's a good thing. What's the that? Truth. It's the truth. That's right. Well, exactly right. I don't mean just, just to say them, but the truth. That's yeah. right. It, it, the no, the error is not the answer. The truth is the answer. And so um, here we are. The, the Bible says, not many of you to be teachers, but knowing that you shall incur a stricter judgment. And remember this. Jesus, Jesus is called... In John 1 1, in the beginning was the word, right, logos. That's a that's a form of communication. Jesus is uh, God's communication. In fact, Hebrews 1 1 says, God who at sundry time and diverse manner spoken to the fathers through the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us in his son. Now that's that's two areas kind of communication. He spoke to the fathers, that's the old testament. The, the patriarchs and the ch children of Israel through the prophets, not just through the, the the physical prophets who were prophesying, but through the writings of the prophets, the written prophets. God spoke in the Old Testament to the fathers through the Old Testament prophets. He's in these last days, He has spoken unto us through His Son. Jesus is God's community. That's why it's called the Word. That's why in the Upper Room Discourse, when Jesus was uh, was talking to the disciples and he was saying, I go where you don't want to go. And Philip said, show us the way. And uh, Jesus said to him, said, have I been so long with you, Philip? Or show us the Father. And have I been so long with you? And you have not known me. If you've seen, known me, seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he tells him, I am the way. What's the next one? Truth. truth. I am the truth. Truth is for communication. So Jesus is God's God's truth and God's word. And so there's a sense in which we talk about uh, the word of God, that Jesus is the, the living word, and this is the written word. It's God's communication to us. And if we want to hear what he has to say, we kind of want to be still, be quiet, and read the scriptures. Do it. It's very, very important. And it, the Lord uses it in your life. That's why... One of the things I give out most frequently are MacArthur study Bibles. And the reason I do MacArthur study Bibles is because there's a lot of uh, commentary and to kind of explain the historical background and the text of what's going on. But if you read the text and read the commentary, it gets a little deep at times, but it does explain it. It helps you to understand it. And God can use it. You see, he can use it in your heart, in your life. I thought that was interesting on that tape that I gave you or that you listened to. That John was saying, talking about the police that had come there on campus, and they had had they had a used part of parking lot. They have a good relationship with the police, and they use the parking lot as a kind of a maybe a jail or a staging area when they having riots and they had to arrest people. They would use that on the, in the church parking lot. And John said, "We gave them all MacArthur study Bibles. So I thought, well, that's a good thing. Do that. It's good. So anyway, God's word is written, and Jesus is the living word, and uh, it communicates to us." He is that, and he is called the truth, that passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Over in John 17, 
um, very interesting passage that um, I I don't know how deep to get into it, but I think it's important, so I'm going to look at it with you. Uh, he's talking about being sanctified. When we use the word sanctified, we're talking about taking something out of common use and setting it apart for holy use or spiritual use or to be used for God. Um, and so you wouldn't take normally, now this is not a high church, but if you, we still have some dishes that we use, like for example, we have the communion tray that we put the cups in and the bread in. You wouldn't take that communion tray if you were looking to, to empty some garbage or some stuff on the ground and you wouldn't take it and put it in the communion tray and take it and dump it because the communion tray is a little bit more, is, is to be treated with a little bit more reverence than that. And if it's a high church, even the candles and other things, are they are sanctified and they are there. And they even keep, sometimes they'll put uh, linen over them and keep them and protect them except when they're having a service. And so sanctified means to be set apart for God. And in Luke, in John chapter 17, John is talking about the word of God that sets us apart from the world unto God. And here's what he said. He says, they are not talking about the disciples. And later on, he expands that to all of us. So he, you could legitimately in that context say that they, his followers, are not of the world. That is, they're not in the world, of the world, of the world's goals, of the world's system. Even And this is part of what he's doing to change us. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Then he prays in verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart. In the truth, your word is true. So what I'm saying here is that this verse is saying that if you are in God's word and you read it and you study it, it begins a process. It may not be as quick as you would like for it to be. It takes time, uh, and but he uses that to set us apart from ourselves and our little goals. And believe me, I'm not talking about you. I have goals and I have things that I want and I have things, my ambitions that I have that I like. And I know what it's like to have him, when I'm praying about these things, to have him look, I feel like he's looking off the other way. And I want to say, are you listening to me? I, you know what I'm saying? You can pray about things that, that you really are concerned about. And it's like he, he doesn't even, and I know he listens to me. I know he hears my prayers, and I know he answers them. But when he answers them, he'll answer them many times by saying, I'm not going to do that, or I want you to wait and be patient because you have a lot of room to grow. And that's just really, um, I don't like to hear that, but I know it's true. I know up here it's true. That's what James says, count of joy when you go to the various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know it up here because you know what he's doing. And so the scriptures are that area where he takes and he sanctifies us. That's what he's saying. Uh, I sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Then he says to the Father, you sent me into the world. Jesus came on a mission from the Father. As I, I also have sent them into the world. So we are sent by him. We are commissioned by him to go into the world. For their sakes, I have come. I have sanctified myself so that they themselves may be sanctified in the truth so that his coming and separating himself in obedience to the father is that part of that process that enables us 
to be sanctified in him and in his truth and to go forth uh, in him. Uh, and so it's, it's a, it's, we are set apart unto the service of the ministry of the Lord by his word, by his truth. He sets us up. He uses us in our lives. That's why Jesus came. That's one of the things he came to do. And that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We have a great Savior. Don't you think so? I mean, a, a magnificent and wonderful Savior that he would care that much for us and that he would give himself to that and that he would give his word. And his word, receiving his word, means that we are not in the world even as they are in the world, that his word separates us from, from being of the world. And, um, and so that's, that's really important. So here is this passage then that we're looking at, that these words that that um they're teaching he said they're teaching things they should not teach because they're teaching error it is contrary to the word it's contrary to the truth um paul says in timothy um this is second timothy chapter two he's talking uh to timothy and he says timothy i want you to remind him of these things solemnly charge them in the presence of god not to wrangle or to argue about these words which are useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent yourself to present yourself. I like that word present. It just means that there is this, when you have your quiet time and you do your Bible reading, I always open up with prayer and I sort of, I don't mean to say present myself, but I say, Lord, here we are. And I just, I want you to take this time. We were talking about in the mornings, Sometimes you feel kind of despondent and uh, maybe you don't want to cooperate. You want The last thing in the world you want to do is to get serious and spend time with the Lord in prayer. But that's the best time to do it. That's the important time. You come to him and say, Lord, I just, I'm, I'm no, no, I'm not ready to surrender. Now I've just been sleeping and tired. My knees hurt. And I don't, I got to get up and do this and that and the other. But take this time and open my heart and help me. And boy, I'll tell you what, it makes a big difference. It doesn't take long when he starts using the word and using that time and kind of directing your thoughts. And so he says, to be diligent, to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed or embarrassed or to, to regret what you're doing, but handle accurately the word of truth. What does that mean? That means that you can mess it up. That means you want to be certain. You want to be careful as you read the word to know for sure what it said. And the only way you can do that is comparing scripture to scripture. And I think the more we read it and the wider our scope, Old and New Testament, the better we are able to do that, to understand it, because it's God's truth. And it uh, means it's without error. And what we may come up with one thought here when we read some other passages may help correct something like that. And so it's a good thing to do that. And so we present ourselves. We don't want to, to mess up the word. Uh, he says to, in the middle of that to avoid worldly and empty chatter. Avoid this just wanting to run your mouth. It'll lead to further ungodliness, so on and so forth. So here is the first part of the text. The second part, the first part was their performance. They're teaching things they should not teach, contrary to the scriptures. The second thing is their purpose is for sordid gain. They are after the money. Uh, they, they, uh, and this is true. A lot of times in the church, now we don't, we, in fact, I've been criticized by the leaders sometimes for not telling us more often that we need to give. But we do need to give. We know that. We know that we should tithe. We know that we should give to the Lord's work. I don't have to keep reminding you of that because it's important. You know that. Uh, I remind myself. I try, in fact, I have 
my gifts uh, automatic in the in the my computer. But anyway, um, he talks about this. Talked about the, in Micah three, looking at the scriptures that deal with this greed. Micah three is talking about the heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, and he says her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe. All right, this is the leaders of Israel. They pronounce it. Her priests instruct for a price, and her prophets divine for money. And that's given as a bad thing. They shouldn't do that. Um, the Lord says, on account of Zion, I will be, will, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will come as a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple will become high places of the forest. In other words, God's going to deal with that because they need to, to not be ministering just for the profit, just to make money. That That's a big thing. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, I'm sort of rushed up here and I probably shouldn't, but he tells Timothy in second in 1 Timothy 3 uh, that uh, there are those who think that godliness is a means of making a lot of money. Godliness is a means of great gain. Religion is a, is a means of, of uh, paying, uh, getting big salaries. And I've heard preachers say that. I remember Stephen Brown before he was saved said that he went to the ministry because of the way to make a lot of money and not have to work hard. <laughs> and uh, he's he's a good preacher, by the way. He's, he's a PCA, and he has since become saved. He's very he's got a real deep voice when you talk to him. After talking to him, I makes me sound like a tenor. But anyway, uh, he he was said that, that being in the ministry is a way of making a lot of money, and so on and so forth. There are those who say that, but Paul says to Timothy, godliness is actually a means of great gain when it's accompanied by something. You know what that something is? Contentment. Godliness is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. I heard Steve Brown, I remember this, he said, the secret of contentment is to limit your wants to the provisions God has given to you. Limit your wants to the provisions that God has given to you. And uh, that sounds like good advice to me. We brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. You see the danger there of lusting after and just pursuing wealth. They plunge men into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say money is a root of evil. It says the love of it, the craving of it is a root of all sorts of evil and some having long after it. <coughs> have wandered away from the faith. They were in the faith, they uh, knew the faith, but they wandered away in pursuit of wealth, in pursuit of these other things. Peter says, that I'm going to have to hurry, Peter says in 2 Peter 2, uh, talks about many will follow their sensuality, they, because of them the way of truth will be maligned in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. He's talking about false teachers. This is uh, there's more to read there, but I'm just going to the verses there. Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. And then, so that's that's where we'll stop there. We're, we, uh, he, he goes on, he gives an illustration from one of the, the uh, current social prophecies, prophets of that day. It's not a Christian prophet, but, he's, but he, I'm, we'll wait and look at that next time because there's a couple of things I want to say about that. I guess the warning here this morning for us is to be serious with the truth and what we teach, we'll hear about it again from the Lord. There's no question about that. I know I know I will stand before the Lord and one of the most 
sobering passages that I know of in Scripture says that we will give an account to every idol word. And I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, I got them. I got a lot of them. And now I take comfort in the fact that I think most of those idol words were just joking around and clowning around and not just saying something that I really shouldn't be saying. But still, that's a serious test, isn't it? It really is. And uh, it's something to be very careful about. And so what comes out of our mouth is a reflection, says Jesus, of what's in our heart. The mouth speaks out of what's in the heart. Huh? Yes, he does. He absolutely does. In fact, he talks about the tongue being a smart part of the body. And that little tiny piece of the body is like a rudder of a great ship. That little bitty rudder will steer that entire ship. He says it's like a spark. Just a little spark you put into a field when they have these dry seasons like that. The one little spark is all it takes to set that thing afire. And boy, that thing in just a second or two without any control, and you have major damage. The tongue is that way. It's set on fire, says James, by hell itself. So just be careful about that. And feed your tongue with the word of God. All right. That's just really very important. Let's, let's have some prayer. Bob, and we thank you for, this, for these words. They are sobering words. And uh, we just realize that, that all of us need to hear these things. And I, I too, want to pray for Wayne this morning. I'm, I'm really sorry about this situation. I know it doesn't take you by surprise. And I can see, as I've been running my mouth and giving counsel to what to do for him, what you might be doing for him, that you could be doing exactly the same thing in me. And I could be even more stubborn. I don't want to be stubborn. I don't want to. I don't want to lead people astray. I don't want to stand up here or sit up here and talk about what you're saying. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to have to, to come back later and repent of that. If I'm wrong, I do want to repent, but I don't, I, I don't want to be wrong. And uh, we, we, are, we are blessed because you've given us your word. It's the most powerful thing we have on the planet insofar as a tangible thing. We don't worship a book and pages, but we know the book and the pages communicate your word and your truth to us and you use your word in our lives to change our lives and so help us to be faithful with that and with the things you've given to us and help us to be committed to you um and when things get heavy and uh, if we go through what we might call a dark valley like wayne is doing right now i pray that you'll help us to keep our focus on you to realize you're good you never ever make mistakes and while we can't see the answers now necessarily, even though you told us if, if we lack wisdom, uh, you told us that we could ask of you and you will help us to understand these things. And that passage in James, you promised wisdom. But the, the problem with that is that you give us wisdom, we second guess it sometimes and we, we back it off, back off from that. <clears throat> and you tell us that's not the way to get wisdom. We, have to need, to, we need to accept what you tell us and uh, apply it to our lives. And so help us to do that. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. I ask your blessing upon each heart and each life here today. And I pray these in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.